Good morning. How many is glad to be here? I guess you are or you wouldn't be here, right? I don't know. There were, time, there were days I went to church too and I wasn't sure I wanted to go, but I went anyways, right? And you know what I was thinking on those days? Well, if I don't go, God might be mad at me or something, you know? That's what I used to think. But uh, God's not mad at you one way or another. But I'll be mad at you, so you better be here next week too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, we serve a good God. We serve a God who's, uh, you know, He's not legalistic. He's not like Zeus or something with, you know, electric lightning bolts ready to shock us when we do something bad. How many is glad for that? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and just pray real quick before we dive in this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for your presence. I thank you for what you've been speaking to me, and I thank you that you'd speak it to each one here, and they'd be able to capture what you're doing and what you're trying to say to our hearts. And Father, I just think we could just open up ourselves to you. We could just be open to receive of you, and we could be able to examine ourselves. We could be challenged. We could be all those things so that we can grow, because that's what it's all about, is growing in you. And Lord, we give you all praise going on for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well... You know, I, I, um, as I was going over this, this message, I started thinking about the church. And so I was looking up some things, and, and I've been reading a book, and I'm going to read a little section out of, this, out of this book. And I was reading the book, and it, it start, got me thinking. And then I got on the Internet, and I started looking up statistics about the church in America. And I started looking at it. And, and you know, no one ever thought that the Titanic would sink. No one ever thought it would sink. Uh, but it did. An iceberg sank it. Some, someone, someone even said, you know, not even God could sink this ship. And there's some people who say that that's what doomed it. You know, I don't even know if it's true. I looked that up. And uh, it's debatable on who said it. But somebody said it. And if somebody didn't say it, somebody was thinking it when they got on it. That's for sure. It, at the time, it was the largest ship ever made. And... It was huge and really big, and, and a lot of times we equate size with stability. You know, a lot of times we do that. That's what they did a lot of with these SUVs, you know, with the, a lot of those vehicles. And, and uh, there for a while when they first came out, and, and they were getting them, and more and more people were getting them on the ro- road, they, they started doing safety tests and realized that some of these had some, they were top heavy and had a rollover risk. So they started modifying that. Now they're a whole lot safer. But just because it was bigger didn't necessarily mean it was safer. We got a 15 passenger van at the church and just because it's large didn't, doesn't mean they're safe. Matter of fact, for our insurance, we have to take the back bench out of it now. And we cannot keep the back bench in the, in, in the, in the van and put butts in those seats. Because if we do, and we get in an accident, the insurance company will not cover us. And the reason why is because of the way the wheelbase is, and there's a rollover risk if you put too much weight in the back, because it brings the front end up. Isn't that something? So it was a design flaw in the van in this particular year. There's several years there. And so insurance companies on these 15-passenger vans... They, you know, they won't cover you. You take that back seat out, at least on the model we've got. So, you know, size doesn't mean safe. Size doesn't mean stable. 
And you could do the same with the church in America, and you could look at its size that you, you know, currently see, and you could say, okay, well, we're stable. Everything's real good. But you know what? It's not true. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at the statistics over the last couple of decades, the church is actually sinking. It's slowly sinking, but it's sinking. There's a hole in the boat. Now, see, after the Titanic struck that iceberg, it took a good while for it to sink. It didn't sink right away. As a matter of fact, when they first hit the iceberg, most people in that boat never thought that that's what, you know, we're, we're going down. That wasn't their first thought. Matter of fact, that wasn't their second or third thought. They thought, oh, well, that's a little strange. And they went about their business on the boat. So they didn't even know, even though they had hit this iceberg, they didn't even know what, 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 what hit them. And when you look at the church in America and you look at a lot of the statistics and you look at the growth in the population in America, attendance is down, involvement in church is down, giving is down, even the belief that Christ is relevant is down in this country. In the Western civilization that we have over here, Christ is becoming less and less relevant. Now we know that Christ is relevant, right? We know that He's... But to, to people... He's less relevant than what he ever than, than he ever has been. It's more and more and more. And so I believe that the church, to be relevant again, that we've got to return to a few basic principles about building a church and avoiding some icebergs. There's some certain icebergs that we've got to avoid. There's three icebergs that I specifically want to talk about, and I'm going to talk about that next week, and I'm not going to mention them right now. So you've got to come next week to hear about the icebergs that are floating around that I believe are in the way that we've got to avoid as the church. But today I want to talk about the thing that we need to melt those icebergs. And so, you know, a lot of times people give the problem first and then they give the solution. Well, we're going to do it kind of in reverse. And we're going to talk about the solution before we talk about uh, those three icebergs. We're going to talk about some problems, but the, by and large we're going to talk about the thing that will melt those icebergs and some other Icebergs. This morning I want to talk to you about the power of grace. The power of grace. You know, as Christians, we should treat every person with love. But sometimes we don't. We should treat others with kindness. But the truth is, sometimes we don't. We should never be judgmental and critical. But how many know just sometimes we are, right? You might say, well, that, that's because I'm not God. I'm not perfect. And you know what? That's true. You're not God and you're not perfect. And neither am I. But with the power of grace, we can do a whole lot better than what we're doing now. And I'm talking about the church as, as a whole. And I want to say that, you know, in this church right here, the connection. Not, we're going to talk a lot about just the body of Christ today, just in general, okay? But I, I want to say, you know, this body is that you guys are some of the nicest people I've ever met. I'll just, I, I just tell you, and you're, you're so kind and so nice. And, you know, I can say that uh, very confidently because, you know, just even recently, we've had some people who have come to the church and uh, just last week and, and said to, uh, you know, one of the ones when we were giving them the book that, you know, the, the, this, was, this was the kindest church they've ever been in. Uh, you know, just everybody's so kind. And that was the words they used. You know, kind, so nice. And, you know, another person that had come uh, uh, two Sundays ago, just 
oh man, they just welcomed me in. Everybody was just so kind. You know, I was telling one of their family members because they had come with the family. So I, I just want to say thank you for being so nice and so kind to our guests. And, I, and it's not fake. You know, it's, you can't fake that stuff. Amen. You, you just can't. You, you can't fake hospitality. You can't do it. Uh, you can't fake a genuine love when you show love to someone else. You can't fake that. So you guys are doing awesome. And I, I, I know that even though how awesome we are, we can even be better, right? You know, and that's, and that's all I want to talk about here because there, there are some of those icebergs out there and there's some things that, that we can do. And if we know some certain things that we can just, we can get better in. I want to read an excerpt out of this, out of this book and it's called uh, Why We Eat Our Own. Why We Eat Our Own. And it's by uh, Michael Cheshire. And he is the pastor of the Journey Community Church in Conifer, Colorado. And in this excerpt, he refers to Ted Haggard. And he's talking about Ted Haggard. As a matter of fact, the title of the chapter in this book is, is called uh, Going to Hell with Ted Haggard. And if you read this whole book and you read this you know, thing, you'll understand kind of what he's talking about. But for those of you, you've never heard of, of Ted Haggard maybe. Uh, he was pastor of a large church in Colorado Springs. I believe it was called New Life. And it, it, it was really, really big. And long story short, basically Ted Haggard was exposed in 2006 uh, of, of a sin that he had fallen into. It was a, a, a moral sin, sexual sin. He was exposed in 2006 and then he lied about it. He ended up admitting to it though eventually. He, uh, you know, shortly right after repenting, he stepped down from ministry for several years. He got counseling, went through uh, somewhat of a restoration process. I'm not sure there's some details about that and you know this and that, but I know he was out of ministry for several years. Uh, but he's now, he's back in ministry. And he's actually back in Colorado. He moved out of Colorado for, for quite some time. He was in the Phoenix area uh, in recovery and in a, in a ministry and under that. And so this guy, Michael, basically writes here in this chapter, and I just felt like this, this was just so good, uh, what he was writing about as far as you know, exposing what was in his heart, you know, about how he viewed this man. And I want to read this uh, out of this chapter here. Begins the chapter by saying, I didn't plan to care about Ted Haggard. After all, I had access to Google and a Bible. I heard about what he did and knew it was wrong. I saw the clips from the news and the HBO documentary about his life after his fall. I honestly felt bad for him, but figured it was his own doing. When the topic came up with others, I know in ministry we would feign sadness, but inside we could care less. One close friend said that he would understand it more if Ted had just sinned with a woman. I agreed with him at the time. It's amazing how much more mercy I give to people who struggle with sins I understand. The further their sin is from my own personal struggles, the more judgmental and callous I become. I'm not proud of that. It's just where I was at the time in my walk. But that all changed in one short afternoon. A while back, I was having a business lunch at a sports bar in Denver area with a close atheist friend. He's a great guy and a very deep thinker. During lunch, he pointed at the large TV screen on the wall. It was set to a channel recapping Ted's fall. 
He pointed his finger at the HD and said, That is the reason why I will not become a Christian. Many of the things you say make sense, Mike, but that's what keeps me away. It was well after the story had died down, so I had to study the screen to see what my friend was talking about. I assumed he was referring to Ted's hypocrisy. Hey man, not all of us do things like that, I responded. He laughed and said, Michael, you just proved my point. See, that guy said sorry a long time ago. Even his wife and kids stayed and forgave him. But all you Christians still seem to hate him. You guys can't forgive him and let him back into your good graces. Every time you talk to me about God, you explain that he will take me as I am. You say he forgives all my failures and will restore my hope as long as I stay outside the church. You say God wants to forgive me. But that guy failed while he was one of you, and most of you are still vicious to him. Then he uttered the words that left me reeling. You Christians, eat your own. Always have, always will. He was running late for a meeting and had to take off. I, however, could barely move. I studied the TV and read the caption as a well-known religious leader kept shoveling dirt on a man who had admitted he was unclean. And at that moment, my heart started to change. I began to distance myself from my previous harsh statements and tried to understand what Ted and his family must have been through. When I brought up the topic to other men and women I love and respect, the very mention of Haggard's name made our conversations toxic. Their reactions were visceral. Please understand, this isn't just my experience. Just Google his name and read what is said about him in Christian circles. Most Christians would say God can forgive him, but almost universally people agree that God will never use him again. When I pressed the question, why can't God still use Ted, I was dismissed as foolish or silly. Most of these people got mad and demanded I drop the subject. Perhaps they saw something I was missing. But this response seemed strange. After all, I reasoned, Jesus restored Peter after he denied Christ. That's a big deal. And what about the scripture that teaches us that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable? So I felt I needed to meet Ted for myself. So I had my assistants track him down for a lunch appointment. I live outside of Denver, and he was living in Colorado Springs, a little over an hour away. Perfect. We exchanged emails and agreed on a date in a restaurant. He goes on to say he sat with Ted and talked with him for two hours. And he found out that he really liked Ted Haggard. And he also began to just continue having a relationship with him. And he started talking about how that the people that he hung out with, other Christians and and other in other circles and Christian circles, that once they found out if he talked about Ted, once they found out that he was friends with Ted, they they told him, you know, we're going to distance ourselves from you if you don't give up your friendship with Ted Haggard. There were many people in his church that even left his church because he became friends with Ted Haggard. Now, some of you may not know Ted Haggard. Some of you, you might know who Ted Haggard was. But he was, you know, prominent in a lot of Christian circles. And, you know, you could see him on TV every now and then and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember seeing the, uh, the news report, you know, when it came out of how he, how he fell and, and, and that sort of thing. And I too, just like this man, thought, man, that's, you know, that's just sad. But some people went further than that, saying, you know, how it was sad or, or 
you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, for this man, this other pastor, to, to reach out and to become friends with Ted Haggard after, you know, after years after this had taken place, and for people to, you know, leave his church just because of it, you know, that's just wrong. And this is why in the church we need grace. It goes beyond this, you know, just our, you know, prominent leaders that we see that fall and, and we don't forgive or we continue to talk bad about them. It goes beyond that. It goes, be, uh, it goes to how we treat each other inside the church, our churches in America. How we treat each other when someone messes up or someone falls or we know somebody made a mistake. You know, how do we treat them? And I believe that our concept of grace needs to mature. Grace is strong. And it can help us see others the way that Christ sees them. See, the main point of my message this morning is this. Christ said that the people in the world will know us by our love for one another. And if we don't have love, if we cannot extend mercy and grace to those that are in the church, as God, the way He looks at them and the way that He extends mercy and grace, you know, the people outside the church, as you can see in the example, they don't understand that. They don't understand how that Christians are supposed to be the most loving, kind. And like I said for you guys, you guys are doing such a great job because you're so loving and kind. But, you know, in the body of Christ as a whole, we're just not where we need to be when it comes to grace and it comes to mercy and how we view others and see others. Because, folks, if we were, it would be unquestioned that the church and that Christians are the nicest, kindest, loving people ever and you want to go and you want to be next to them. You want to be with them because who wants to be around a jerk? <laughs> Nobody does. Who wants to be around somebody who's, un, you know, who's hateful? Who's someone who's unloving? No one does. You know, the church in America, so to speak, and this, you know, Amer uh, this country of America would be totally different if we, ha if we were looking at other people through the same lens that Christ looks at. What is that lens? It's grace. I have this statement here. Grace is the lens that Christ looks through when He's looking at you and me. Grace is the lens that Christ looks through when He's looking at you and me. Thank God that He looks at us through those lens, that shade of grace. Even though I don't deserve it. And you know what? When someone else messes up and they fall and they do something, you know, they don't deserve it. But we're supposed to give it anyways. Especially to someone who has fallen and they repent. And they turn from. They're sorry. They go through a process. They want to, you know, they go through, maybe they go through a counseling or whatever it may be to get help with their issue or, or whatever the problem may be. And it can be really tough. It can be hard, really hard to get through some things. You know, I remember, uh, you know, a few years back, uh, Jesse, he's not here this morning, but he gave his testimony on Sunday morning. He had fallen and gotten into drugs. And, you know, I thought, you know, drugs, drugs is an awful thing. But, you know, when he talked about how that, you know, he went through this process, and it was a long road, and there were many, st there were many stumbles that he took. There were stumbles that, 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 you know, that, that it was like it didn't seem like he was going to make it, but God came in and, and surrounded him with people that could help him, and he, and he got the help that he needed. And today he's totally free of that stuff. Amen? I mean, just totally free of it. And God showed him mercy and showed him grace. And you know, when I see Jesse, I don't even think about drugs. I don't think about that. I don't think about his past failures. I, I, I don't even think about that at all. I just think about, you know, he's a great guy. He's a great guy to be around. 
I like him, you know, and God, and God uses him and has used him. And so I don't see that. But there are those that would look at him and all they could see, the first thing that would come to their mind is drugs, 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 every time they see him because they know what he did and where he was. And they still are holding it against him. In church, the power of grace is what we need so that when we see someone who's fallen, we don't, that's not the first thing we think of. How does Christ see those who have fallen and repented? Number one, He sees them as forgiven. Is it really 11.05? Wow. Church, you're going to have to give me five more minutes today. <laughs> he sees us as forgiven. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You say, well, how can God? He's all-knowing. How can... It, he's not saying that he's never, he, he doesn't pray. He doesn't hold it against you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see that sin. He doesn't see that. In Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8.12, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. See, so he doesn't look at the sin. He doesn't see that. What he sees is his children, which is number two. That's the next thing he sees. How does Christ see those who have fallen and repented? As forgiven and His children. In Romans 8, 14, 15, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So He sees us as His children. And when someone falls and they repent, we need to see them as a brother and a sister in the Lord. Can I get an Amen. amen. They are still in the family. When my son messes up, I don't boot him out the door and tell him he's no longer part of the family. Uh, he's still my son. I don't care what he does, he will always be my son. I will never leave him, nor forsake him. I love him no matter what. Amen? Amen? Amen. And that's what God does with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. No matter what. And when we mess up, we have, we have the ability to realize that and see that and repent and change. And repent means to think differently, turn away from it and go back. I'm not talking about staying in it. I'm not talking about grace that just says, oh, it's okay and you can keep doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who are contrite, those who are sorry, those who have looked at it and said, you know, man... I messed up. I, you know, and you see those tears coming. You know, they messed up. They repent. We, we don't hold it for, uh, against them anymore because they've repented. Because that's what Christ says to do. What's the, the third thing that He sees us as <clears throat> is ministers. Now, this one's a tough one for a lot of us to swallow because, you know, for some of us, talking about in the body of Christ as at large, Christians at large, you know, like I mentioned Jesse... You know, he messed up. He was on drugs for too long. He did this stuff too. He can never minister. You know, Jesse's brought many to Christ. Amen. I'm going to say that. He brought many to Christ. 
God still uses him. You know what it means? Minister just means to serve. He looks at you and says, that's a vessel that can be, I can use for me. That's what God looks at us and sees. And Timothy says, we're vessels for the Father's use. We're vessels for him. We all don't deserve to be ministers, but we are. Each and every... I mean, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a minister. That's right. Come on. Yeah, left and right, you're a minister. That's it. It's not about having a title. It's not about having a position. God wants to use you and can use you no matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. Amen? That's That's it. And this is how God sees us. I want to read this quote uh, from Michael Cheshire out out of his book. Ultimately, we will treat people to the level of value we choose to assign them. I believe the key to not being a judgmental person is to place a high value on every person you see. Isn't that so true? See, because they've messed up, we devalue them. A lot of times, our natural mind, we say, okay, they mess up, and all of a sudden, they like they, they go down, in our, and they're not in our good graces anymore, right? And, and, and we have the natural tendency to do that sometimes. We just do. But we need to really understand grace. Now, back in, in 2012, uh, May of 2012, I did a series called Live Life Well. If you want to write that down, Live Life Well. You can, if you want to uh, get a little bit more, I'm going to talk a little bit from, from what I preached then. If you want to get online, those messages are still up. It was like a three-message series on grace. Uh, we're coming at it from a little di- different slant. But if you want to learn a little bit more about grace, you can check those messages out. May 2012, live life well. Grace is powerful. In Romans 5.17 it says, They which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. This word reign, it means to rule. It means to rule. We rule in life through the power of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, most of the time, Grace is just, it's not really fully understood what what grace is. There was a survey that was given uh, a few years back across America that questioned thousands of born-again believers to give three or more definitions or descriptions of grace. You know, this is what the survey is. Tell me what grace is. Give me a couple things of what grace is. And most people, the overwhelming majority, define grace as number one, salvation, two, an unmerited gift, three, forgiveness of sins. Now, this is good because Christians know that you cannot earn your salvation because in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Survey is also good because our sins have been forgiven by the grace of God through the blood of Christ, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His, what? Grace. So this, this is good. Now only 2% out of the survey said grace is God's empowerment. But this is how God describes His grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this word strength in the Greek is dunamis. It's force, specifically miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning might, power, strength, mighty, wonderful work. Another version puts this verse, it says, My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. Weak is inability, while grace is the ability to do. 
Yes, it's you know grace. It's God's grace that comes. It's through His by His grace that we are saved. It's by His grace we have that forgiveness of sins. But it's just because of that act right there that empowers us to be strong ambassadors and vessels meet for the Father's use. Amen. That's the best way to put it right there. Because of that. Now we are empowered to do that. Notice when you look at the epistles and you look at uh, Paul and a lot of his writings, he will start in the first chapter in the verse 1s or 2. He says, Grace be unto you. That is a greeting that he greets in, in, the, in the letter. He's not saying, Forgiveness be unto you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Power be unto you. All power be unto you. All power be unto you. That's what he's saying. See, many times when we read over and we see, oh, that was just a greeting, we just keep passing by, and we don't really get the meaning and see the meaning of what it's saying. Isn't that good? He's saying, all power be unto you. God wants you to have all of His grace. He wants you to have all power so that you can have the ability to accomplish what He's called you to do here on the earth. Amen? Amen. It's through grace. We're going to wrap this up. It says, through grace we receive the fullness of Christ. And John 1.16, and His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. See, what grace does is gives us the fullness of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you have to have the fullness of Jesus Christ to be able to view people the way that Christ views them. Without it, forget it. Because our own natural sense, we're going to write people off. We're going to devalue them. We're going to do that right off. We have got to have the fullness of Jesus Christ. Because we are mere humans, mortals, whatever. We aren't God. That's true. We've got to have His grace in order to be able to see and to do. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Are you seeing this wording right here? Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've got to be a partaker of the divine nature because your nature is not going to cut it when you're looking at others who have fallen and repented. Amen? Amen. And that's what's promised to us. But you only get that by His grace. By His grace. 1 John 4, 17. As He is, so are we in this world. How do we do that? Through His grace. 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also... Uh, also so to walk, even as He walked. So we're to walk like He walked. How do you do that? And you think about Christ, and you think about in the Gospels, and you look at what Christ did, and, and how He healed, and how He just... I, I mean, what He said to people, it blows my mind. I'm supposed to walk as He walks. How do you do that? It's through His grace, His empowerment. That's the way that we do that. His grace is sufficient. That's what we need for all things. We are partakers of that divine nature. We get it from Him. You say, well, TJ, you don't understand what they did. No, you don't understand the power of God then. Church, I'm telling you the truth. If you found yourself saying, you don't know what they did, then you fully don't understand the power of God. 
Because God's more powerful than anything that they did. And God's more powerful than your mindset and how you're viewing the situation. You're saying God can't change how I think. You're saying God can't change how I feel towards them. He can't? I thought He was God and He was all-powerful. He can. He can. Some of you are looking at me with that you know, deer in headlights look. Church, I'm telling you, it's true. We're going to talk about it even more next week. We're out of time. Don't miss next week. You're going to want to come. You're going to want to be here. Look, when you walk as He walks... Other people can see it. Amen. They can see it. Grace can be seen. In Acts 11.23, Barnabas, he arrived at the church of Antioch and he said, I saw the grace of God and I was glad. I saw the grace of God. What's he talking about? I saw the forgiveness. No, that's not what he was talking about. He saw the power of God at work in the believers there in that city. He saw it. He saw it. And see, the other people around, and the church that was there in that city, the other people around, they were seeing it. And they were adding to the church all the time. And it was growing. Because people could see the grace of God. And people were looking and saying, it doesn't matter what you did. And they were looking at their brother and sister when they fell and said, look, just repent and come on. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. That's tough for us to do sometimes, isn't it? Especially when it's you know someone that's really hurt us. Or someone that's really let us down. And, and, and it's just been wrong. And they just, did, and they just did you wrong. Trust me, church. I know. I know. There's some names I was thinking of even this week. I'm like, man. It, 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 it's tough. It's tough. But if we press into God and we receive His grace, we can view the Ted Haggards of the world and their sins and what they've done. And we can you know, view them in a totally different light. And we can, can we allow them to still be used by God? Yes, mm, yes I believe we can. Yes. Amen? Can we all stand? How many in here you could say, you know what, TJ? I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but man, it's really tough to view others the way you're talking about. Can you raise your hand? Yeah. <laughs> We can even get some groans. It's all right. We're in a family. We can groan together. Oh. You know, because it's tough. It's hard. How many want to be empowered? Oh, man, I do. I get juiced just thinking about it. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's the thing that we've got to have. You know, I, I told you when we were meeting up in the library, we are doing another set. It loves what's going to flip this world upside down. Loves what's, and the way to love, the how we love, we've got to have the grace to be able to really love as He loves. Because right. we, we can't do it on, uh, in our own nature. We can't. There's no way. There's no way. How many's ready to get empowered? You ready? All right, let, let, let's, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's, receive, let's receive from the Lord right now. Father, right now. Ooh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. First of all, Father God, forgive us where we haven't treated others with the love that you treat them with. Lord, you've already forgiven someone and then we just, we can't. Lord, Lord, I thank you for doing a work in each and every one of us. I thank you for empowering us with your grace. Your grace. That ability to do. 
that ability to, to look through those lens that you look through and how you see others. Father, I just thank you for doing that work in each and every one here right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we come against the enemy that would come to lie, to steal and destroy and, and, and to lie and say that, oh, you can't, you can't do it. We just break that right now in the name of Jesus. And we say no, that we are partakers of the divine nature, that we can walk just as he walked on this earth because that's our mandate and that's what we're supposed to do as the church. And so, Father, I just thank you for empowering us with that grace, with that ability to do so that others, when they see, they will know that it's you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Mm. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord.